0: Yeah, I'm curious to see what 2022 brings and if we were way off base with any other stuff.
1: We definitely will be. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Well, today we might be a little late on it, but we're going to come in strong. We're doing 2022 predictions. And when, as I was thinking of doing this, I was like, who can I get to do this that is significantly smarter than myself that's going to have really good ideas? And I went with someone who I kind of consider a mentor, Rob Sobers. He was kind enough to be guest number 16 in the early days when I was still figuring out this whole podcast thing. But Rob's on today. Rob, super excited to have you. Thanks, Jim.
0: I'm excited to talk about my predictions and your predictions. I'm curious where you see the world going. It's going to be a fun episode.
1: Yeah. And for context, episode 16, we talked about Rob and his background. So go listen to that. It's super impressive. But essentially, Veronis security software company, cybersecurity, I believe it's at $4 billion in valuation. Rob essentially runs all of their marketing and growth. And I thought it's a really fun counter to myself where I'm working more with early stage, with startups, a lot of consumer facing stuff. So hopefully we have two kind of completely different perspectives to see, you know, what we think is going to happen in in the year ahead. So I'll I'll set the foundation on, you know, how we're going to go about this. So first we're going to start, you know, what are some growth or marketing trends we see for the year ahead? And we've got some ideas there. Then we'll talk at a high level, what are industries we're excited to watch in 2022? And then we'll go a little bit deeper, like what startups or companies we're keeping an eye on that we're excited about, specifically what people to watch in 2022. And just so we're not completely all positive and, and excited, we'll, we'll talk about what we think is going to flop. And then at the very end, if you were starting a startup in 2022, what would that idea be? So I told Rob to come with one. I actually have five ideas that I'll be pitching. But yeah, that's that's how we're going to tackle this today. And then in a year, we will come back and we will see if we were at all close or if there are a lot of bad ideas in there. But does does that sound good, Rob? Sounds great. Okay. So I'm going to let you go first on this one. So as you look at this year ahead, I mean, you're, you're in this every day. What marketing trends are you thinking through or are you watching this year? Yeah, so
0: I follow a lot of marketers b2b marketers specifically on linkedin and there's been a massive trend towards abandoning your traditional marketing funnel like completely throwing it out the window and everyone is super down on like generating leads through resource downloads and you know any kind of marketing tactic that requires a form fill everybody's really on the bandwagon of you're going to create a podcast i know it's ironic that we're on a podcast right now but you're going to create a podcast (laughs) You're going to do daily LinkedIn posts and everyone's going to comment and eventually you're going to build this audience and every post is going to get 400 comments. And through that brand awareness, you're going to sell B2B software. And that's going to be the new way of doing things. And forget about your traditional marketing programs. Don't run webinars anymore. Don't do eBooks. Don't do white papers. Don't do field events. Like that's the, the way of the past. No one wants to buy that way anymore. And while I agree with some of that, right, like I do think that there's, a val- there's value to putting your point of view out in the world, you know, so that when people do have a need, they think of you and your brand and they come to you and they're a hand raiser, right? They're not someone that you had to like beat down the door to, to do business with. I think a lot of B2B marketing, a lot of B2B software companies and their marketing teams are going to drink this Kool-Aid and it's going to completely blow up their number. I think a lot of teams are going to miss their number. Because I think that the people who hold this opinion underestimate the value of salespeople. And I think that it's gonna backfire. You know, salespeople, when you give them that warm, not sales ready lead, they just have a way of turning those ebook downloads who you're like, they you know, they downloaded an ebook, they're not ready to buy, but salespeople have a way to pivot them into a sale. And I think when marketers start to burn down that playbook that has worked so well for so many businesses, you know, think about like some of these like massive companies, even Salesforce, you know, I still get ads from Salesforce on Instagram, like download this ebook, you know, they don't do that stuff by accident. And, you know, many companies run crappy ebook ads and they'll never succeed, but a really well done ebook or webinar or content, like you can still generate massive amount of revenue from. So I know that was, uh, a little bit of rant, but uh, I think that's going to be the trend, and I think that trend's actually going to backfire on a lot of companies that can't execute it well and don't have a backup plan.
1: Oh my God, I think we're thinking the same thing because what I had for mine is I called it the B2B micro-influencer. And it's <laughs> along that same vein of like CEOs have always kind of been rock stars. You know, Elon even more so this past year. You have like Chamath and the All In podcast. You know, people want to hear from these thought leaders. And we, we see it with like at Drift, Dave Gerhardt is so good about working in public and showing what he's doing. Same with Andrew Gazdecki at Microquire. And so now I see these B2B SaaS companies doing what you're saying is like, hey, you know, abandon what we've been doing. Let's go all in on telling our story, not put the brand front and center, but even put like the people in the team front se- front and center and using that to build up awareness, whether that's going to work or not. I don't know. But but I, I kind of agree with you where I, even with HubSpot, I get a lot of ads for using free tools and getting their downloads. They have their stuff so dialed in, you got to think it's working. So it's it's the companies that completely abandon the traditional stuff and do this kind of in a, you know, a not thought out way, they could really fall on their on their face. But it's it's just crazy the amount of people that I'm seeing, even founders that are going this path on B two B, is is super interesting. So I, I think it might work for some, but from others you know, come Q4, they're going to be like, okay, crap, maybe we didn't do this the right way. Yeah,
0: and totally. And I think it can
1: work. And hell, I'm going to do it, right? Like, if you have
0: good, if you have good ideas, if you have something really good to say, and you can say it in a charismatic and compelling way, and you do it in the right channels, it's going to work. But it's not a it's not an or it's an and, right? Do that and run your traditional marketing campaigns, like they can both work. And you have to audit those programs, right? You have to audit it and see, you know, do these ebook downloads convert? You know, do we keep doing these webinars? Do they convert? Because a lot of marketers are going to chase that shiny new strategy and maybe abandon some things that are actually, if you looked at the data, high converting. You know, Veronis, for example, like, you know, everyone's crapping on SEO, but I am so glad that we built an SEO powerhouse because I can look at my form submissions in HubSpot and every two and a half minutes, I have an ebook download from the blog. Literally just flowing in every single day. It's amazing. And 80% of them, 90% of them, 98% of them are not going to be ready to buy right now. And we're not even going to follow up. We're not going to bug that person. I didn't twist their arm to download that content upgrade on the blog. They wanted it. You know, It related well to the content that they read on the blog post. And so, But some of those people, the sales teams are going to be able to pivot and find their pain point and convince them to take a demo and we're gonna make a crap ton of revenue off of that. And so to me, it's an and situation. You know, don't abandon that traditional playbook. It didn't just stop working overnight. But this new strategy is good too. If you have the the charisma and the good ideas and the execution to pull it off. So that's my opinion on it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that like you've got to have the charisma and like that unique idea. So the content you're putting out there is something that's interesting and unique to you. But yeah, and it also, also goes back to like short-term versus long-term thinking because SEO yeah. is so not sexy, but it's one of those things that in 9, 12 months, you're going to be like, wow, that was the best decision we had made. But mm-hmm. it's it's tough when you're just like day-to-day with your thinking. And so I, I'll go to another idea <clears throat> for marketing trends just on the consumer side, just because we're living and breathing this. And I'd be interested to get your take on this. So my thought on predictions for next year is right now, it is the wild, wild west with attribution with all the Apple updates for iOS. And people are freaking out, clients are freaking out. We came we can't look at historical benchmarks because it's not apples to apples, because you know, ROAS return on ad spend reporting on your Facebook ad manager this January compared to last January is completely different because of attribution windows and how you can track. And what I'm calling it is like, you know, silver bullet companies that just relied on that one acquisition channel are going to be really exposed because your source of truth was the Facebook ad manager. And now you're going to have no insight into what's working and what's not. And then you can't make business decisions. So I think the teams that are going to work. And by the way, like when it comes to attribution, we're, we literally have one person dedicated looking to like five different tools to use and how we're doing this. We're changing all of reporting, no longer like l- just relying on Facebook ad manager. We're getting into like Shopify data. But I think the teams that are going to work are going to be the ones that aren't lazy and like, OK, let's just scale on Facebook and Instagram ads. They're going to be the scrappy ones that are like, OK. How do I scale for prospecting? How do I scale for brand awareness? How do I scale for conversions? So they're doing you know, paid ads on Google for top of funnel, middle of the funnel searches. They're doing Facebook and Instagram still for prospecting retargeting. They're doing like podcast ads for brand awareness. But to your point, they're like, okay, let's invest in SEO-driven content. Let's invest in community-based marketing. And then they're looking at their 12-month calendar and be like, okay, when do we schedule partnerships, like big launches, like PR stunts, and look at seasonality demands of like Q4 is going to be big, Q2 is going to be big, Q3, Q1 soft, let's go more experimental. And I'm having this conversation with so many D2C brands where they're like, I don't know what to do now that like Facebook has completely changed And there isn't a silver bullet. It's like, you've got to be like, you got to grow up and you got to be like a real growth team. So I'm interesting to see this shake out in the next like six to 12 months. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. On on, on that. I don't think it's a hot take, but it's just what I'm feeling every day. Yeah, I don't really have
0: too much of a take on the consumer side, but there's a shift in attribution philosophy on the B2B side as well. You know, everyone's coming after attribution software. And I think in some cases, rightly so you know like sometimes we use marketers overcomplicate it, and when we close a million dollar deal we want to see you know repaint the journey of how they got there and look at every little touch point but anytime i ever share any kind of attribution data or talk about marketing influence pipeline where i'm trying to justify our worth as marketers i always precede it with this is about 50 percent accurate at, at best and there's going to be impressions and conversions and and touch points that are just never going to show up in any of this software based attribution. Unless you're, you know, putting that caveat out there, not only in presentations to other executives, but also when you're looking at the attribution data yourself and saying, should I keep doing this? Or should I stop doing this? You have to remember that what I'm looking at is not telling me the full story. I have to rely on some anecdotes and some qualitative data as well. And so, I mean, we, you know, we have, how did you hear about us on, on our demo form? Free text and, and going to mine that data and then compare it to attribution. See how that shakes out.
1: I know even myself. It's funny because with my agency, I can, I'll, I'll literally just ask like our clients after we close them and I'll just like, get them one-on-one with calm, like, tell me exactly how you heard about us. And I write it down in a Google sheet. So I have it for every client we've worked with, which is the least scalable and fancy way to do attribution, but it's literally how we do it. It's my equivalent of your form. How did you hear about us? Yeah, it's the best way. It's, that's the best way to do it. First party. (laughs) So we'll go to the next question. What industries are you predicting in 2022 will, will be big this year? Or which ones are you watching? Actually, I'll I'll start since you went first last time. So for me, again, I'm I'm going based off what I'm seeing and feeling. So I have one friend who worked at he was actually on the podcast. He worked at Jet that sold to Walmart. And I'm looking at his move after he had this big exit. He's gone into this industry that I'll name where I have another friend here in Seattle, pretty high up at Amazon, extremely talented and where he's potentially looking. And both of them are going into AI. And I was trying to pull the data on it. Like in 2012, they had raised just $30 billion in AI. That's how much VC had been investing into it. And just in 2020, eight years later, it's gone up to $75 billion. So that's two years ago. So all of these companies that have raised all this money, what are they going to be doing with it in AI? But I'm also seeing all this, like my talented friends go in that. Whether it's like copy AI, doing AI for writing copy and sales copy, or uh, genie AI, where they will actually take a... White paper or a blog post, and they'll summarize it for you with their AI. So I'm super interested to see more and more startups that are emerging. and like the smart people I know going there. Like I think interesting things are going to be happening there, and it's just like the, the the second inning in in AI. Yeah, I'm with you. There I actually had
0: that on my list. I had it within the context of cybersecurity. Obviously, that's what I live and breathe. So I'm a little bit biased there, but. There's tremendous work going on with AI and machine learning and cybersecurity. Really cool stuff with threat intelligence. And, you know, at Baronis, we have this sort of machine learning engine which looks at how people use data and then revokes permissions that you don't use to kind of reduce, you know, exposure. Like silently and transparently, we call it auto healing. So like behind the scenes, it's just constantly saying, Oh, you don't use this data, we're gonna take away access rather than having a human go in there and be like, oh, let's do it an entitlement review and, you know, who does, who does or doesn't use this data, let's manually revoke it. And I think there's just so many cool things with threat detection. And if you think about like how credit card companies have gotten so good at detecting that purchase that wasn't actually you, <laughs> you know, the fraud detection has gotten really, really awesome. And I think with AI, machine learning, a lot of the cybersecurity hurdles that we face as a, as a country are gonna be a lot easier and we're gonna suffer less from this cybersecurity skills shortage because AI is just getting so much better. And so, like you like you said, so many companies are investing their massive war chest into making this stuff r- really work.
1: Right, and even at the end, as we talk about ideas, I was thinking, I was like, what are ideas? I mean, there's so many things you could do with with AI. The thing, like with my simple, like you have a dev background, I do not. It's like, how do I simplify it to these use cases where I can apply it? Like the one you said around cybersecurity is, is genius. That makes total sense. I, I feel like you're at level three of ideas with it, where I'm like at level one. So was that the one you had? Is, were we on the same page? Were we both saying AI for industries? Yeah, mine's like a hybrid of AI cybersecurity.
0: I had another one too. But before I get to that, back to AI for a second. It's weird because you'll also see a lot of like, quote unquote, AI fails. And I say, quote unquote, because like it's, things are billed as AI, but it's really, there's no AI going on there, like chatbots, for instance.
1: Yeah, it's like an if-then like
0: statement, right? <laughs> 100%. There's really nothing AI at all, not even machine learning in, in most cases, because you're, it's just a pre-programmed decision tree, you know? So you have to be careful because marketers are grabbing that AI and ML terminology and just slapping it on a lot of things that aren't really that. And it makes for like a, a worse experience, you know? I, on on our website at Veronis, we abandon all chatbots. We just have humans, and so the second you type in a question, it's a human. There's not even any pre qualifying questions to like see if you're worthy of an answer. It's just back to the old school live chat widget because I've seen so many sites just get, deliver a terrible customer experience by having these AI driven chatbots. So,
1: kind right of a thing yeah. to look out for. Yeah, I feel like at best it could be decent, but you're never going to like delight a customer with your AI chatbot. Yeah,
0: and I'm not saying nobody's gotten it right. You know, I've, I've seen some sites do a pretty good job at like surfacing like, knowledge-based articles based on what you're looking for. And it does take off the burden if you don't have a big staff and you have a lot of volume. I, I imagine a lot of B2C sites are in that camp where they just they have to find a way to economically make automation work there. But, but the other industry that I'm keeping my eye on and I know nothing about Is climate science and like carbon sequestering and stuff like that. Actually, my daughter is super into this stuff and she knows way more about it than I do. But figuring out how to suck carbon out of the atmosphere, I think, is gonna be really cool to see what scientists and technologists can do because it doesn't seem like we're really gonna make much headway in terms of putting more carbon or reducing the amount of carbon we put in the environment which obviously is the other side of the equation but i'm watching those companies from afar just rooting from the sidelines and and maybe eventually i'll get into it and or my daughter will like drag me into it but it's a noble cause obviously where we have to do something about climate change and i'm excited to watch that stuff evolve
1: yeah that's so out of my skill set i did i was looking at the latest batch of y combinator startups and industries even going into this and I think there was like eight or nine just in and around like sustainability and climate. And it's something that I should be doing more research on because I'm still trying to understand like ways of monetization with it, but I'm with you. I think that's super interesting. And another one. So just to like even go on the consumer side, what I'm kind of seeing as well is, and it's not new, but I'm seeing more and more traction with it. When you can like take the D to C business model and you can slap, you know, Call it pharmaceuticals, you can slap telehealth, you can slap something on it that is tied to medicine. That's doing really well. Like you have curology that did that with dermatologists, where they kind of de-deceified it. I'm seeing it now with if you could get something FDA approved. I, I can't speak too much around something, but like think around any infections you could get where you would need something that is a prescription but it, you could actually do that with a direct-to-consumer model. I mean, you've got like Atomic VC, they did that with Hims and HERS, right? Essentially taking white-label Rogaine and D- 2 fying it. And so people kind of going to that next level and doing it with, you know, medicine. It's, it's something that I'm kind of seeing and I'm interested to see what's going to be emerging there because these people that have the science background and then they can combine it with this direct-to-consumer model, I, I'm I'm a little envious of combining those skill sets. Yeah, I love that. I wasn't even thinking of
0: that, but I think if anything that can drive down prescription medic- medicine cost and the hoops you have to go through, especially to get like specialty medications, it's just kind of criminal that the system works the way it does. And so any innovation in that space is, is awesome. The other thing that's kind of cool is, and I, this just occurred to me, but the use of mRNA technology to combat cancer. That's something that I'm like, again, I know nothing about just layman's like, knowledge of it. But the fact that we can sort of edit mRNA and then teach it to fight cancer, like really excited about that. I have a friend who I worked with back at Fockery Software called Ben Kamens. And he started a company called Spring Discovery, which is all about uh, human health and longevity, and and sort of using he's a technologist using technology and science and trying to combat some of these um, chronic uh, illnesses and stuff like that. Again, way out of my depth <laughs> as a marketer slash pseudo programmer, but I love watching this stuff because you know
1: it's really impacting the world. Okay, that leads to one startup I'm going to talk about that I want to watch. By the way, sc- Spring Discovery is legit. That's I'm on the website right now. Accelerating therapies for aging and its diseases. This is one of those where talk about going after a problem that everyone will have with a big TAM. It's it's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> aging, <As> literally <laughs> every human being. Yeah, your um, total addressable market is everyone. That's super interesting. And then just only one other startup I, I invested in. It's so I'm biased, but it's called Lena out of New York, and they're doing essentially, you know it's so hard to get appointments to go to see a psychiatrist and then actually get prescriptions for it. There was like a wait time of two months in New York. And so they've taken that and gone virtual with it where you can actually do prescriptions. And so that's one where I'm like really interested to see how like the market responds to it. Um, But that, so yeah, I kind of was jumping ahead on, you know, what companies to watch in 2022. And so Let's, actually, I'll let you go first because I went first last time. I'm interested to see what you have. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to pick a kind of boring
0: one, I guess. Uh, it's in marketing, but I'm so bullish and so long in this company. I'm also, you know, I, I own stock in the company, so just full disclosure. But you can buy it too because it's public. It's HubSpot. So HubSpot is a juggernaut. Like they are just an unstoppable product machine. And you might know them, you know, as marketing automation, but they do have a CRM that is a legit Salesforce competitor. If I were starting from scratch, building a company from the ground up, I would 100% use the HubSpot CRM over Salesforce. And it would, I I believe it would scale up greater, you know, their product team, I think executes faster. It's easier to use. It's just a fresher approach and a, a fresher take. They don't have the legacy baggage that Salesforce has with their ecosystem. And I feel like they acquire and integrate software like nobody else. Salesforce is kind of not that great at that. (laughs) If you look at how how the Slack acquisition has gone, really hasn't changed the game at all. And I just think they have this big sort of three-headed monster of sales, CRM, they've got marketing, automation, and then they've got like service as well. So there's like a Zendesk competitor, all under one roof, super tightly integrated and I think as far as like the people and the engineers and the leadership, I, I'm betting on that horse. You know, and t- I think it's going to take 10 years to make a real serious dent in, in make it a two horse race. But I think they're coming for Salesforce.
1: And to give context, Salesforce has a market cap of 225 billion and HubSpot is, by the way, it's not small, but compared to Salesforce, it's just $21 billion. So it's basically, ten, Salesforce is 10x bigger than HubSpot. But your point is like, HubSpot is catching up on Salesforce. The market's probably only getting bigger, and they're going to be able to take a bigger piece of potentially the Salesforce pie, right? Is, is, is uh-huh. kind of the thesis.
0: Exactly. And in 2020, in, in Q, I'm looking at that, in Q1 2021, they grew 41%. HubSpot did on a 1.1 billion dollar ARR figure, which is, you know, do the math. Like they're growing, I think, faster on a percentage basis. Obviously, on a smaller number, but on not not a small number. So <laughs> I would keep an eye out on on them. They certainly know what they're doing.
1: That's interesting. And I mean, they made that acquisition of My First Million. They're leaning into uh-huh. content, even to the idea of, you know, founder-led or work in public or B2B people as influencers. Dharmat Shah, I think, is someone that people really admire. Now, that's a good call. It's almost like catching Amazon when they're at like 500, 700 before they just go on that tear and get over 3000 in, in stock value. But that's uh, that's interesting. So, yeah, this this is yeah. now a uh, an equities tips podcast. So there we go.
0: I think like, you know, what you mentioned about they, they're genius marketers. Darmesh has a brand, but I, that's not even the main reason I would bet on them. Like that all helps and it's great. And I think, you know, they acquired the hustle. Like they, they know what they're doing as far as growing their brand and they're not afraid to invest there, but it's the, it's actually the product execution that I'm betting on because I use the product every day. You know, I, we now host burners.com in their, in their CMS. They have a CMS that's blows WordPress out of the water. So they just have. A level of execution on the product side that I've never seen from any other software company, except for maybe Veronis. But it's uh, that's why I'm betting on them, and it's just a great recipe. Now there's a there's a challenge there because Salesforce has a massive moat. Like talk about lock in. Once you get a company in Salesforce and all the data that goes in there, it's such a monumental ask for a company to to suck all that data out and start a new CRM and retrain their Salesforce. So They're going to have to figure it out. But I'm glad you mentioned Amazon because that fiercely customer first attitude that Amazon has and that has enabled them to win, you know, HubSpot has that as well. So that's my bet. That's my company.
1: That's interesting, too, because like Amazon, it's like they have e-commerce. Obviously, AWS just went on a tear, not to mention like their hardware with Alexa, what that's done. It's, It's HubSpot, you know. Obviously, they have like the marketing tech stack, but then they have the CRM. So it's almost like it was their Trojan horse uh-huh. to come in and, and really own CRM. But I hear you on that moat because we think and not to go on a rant, but I just as an agency owner that works in D2C, I, I, there's parts of those two business models that I like. But man, B2B SaaS is not sexy, but from like a profit and loss statement, it is yeah. the best business. And I, I'm so envious and interested in that. And to your point with Salesforce is so sticky when you have all of the data there. Like, I mean, shoot, I just migrated my small little email list from uh, campaign monitor to convert kit. And it was exhausting. And because I have all these forms and how they enter in and all those people's informations and different segments, I cannot imagine like a bigger company at such a different scale, making that transition. And one thing ConvertKit did that was really smart was they gave me a person for free that did the entire migration. I would not have done it if they would not have had someone handling that. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how HubSpot tries to like get into that. But no, that, that that's a good thesis. I'm I'm sold. All right, so here, here's what I have. Here are mine. So I cheated. I put a bunch here. So I actually start with consumer. I have... So Bombas socks, they, I think they're going to make a lot of noise in the sense that I think there's some big acquisition coming. I have no inside information on this. I actually did used to work with the two founders, Randy and David. Randy was at my wedding, no big deal. They have done over fifty million in products sold and donated. I think it was a year and a half, two years ago they f- did a big round of funding that got them to one hundred and fifty million, and I feel like that's all in preparation for some big move, if that's an exit, or even like going public. But I, I think they're gonna be making a big splash. Because I mean, they have owned the sock industry, which is really impressive, because you could say it's kind of a commodity. The other one in, in consumer is Ball of Shoes, just because they launched last year, they've already gotten to like mid seven figures. They're about to close a big round. And the um, the amount they've learned is insane and this is the other thing that i'm a little bit obsessed with is if you're doing d2c it's owning a niche that is actually much bigger than people realize and bala's is nursing shoes so kind of going that born primitive model where they own crossfit workout gear and they got to nine figures and like i think bala is going to be able to like Mm -hmm. do all birds level of numbers but on with this niche audience by owning healthcare, and then The final one that I have, actually, I'll do two more, sorry, is SaaS Superhuman. They raised $75 million, I think, a year and a half, two years ago. So I want to see what they're going to launch next. They're owning the inbox by making it super fast. But what will they do next? Are they going after the calendar? Are they going to like back into a CRM? Or are they going to try and own not just email, but messaging? But I want to see their product roadmap because I think it's going to be super interesting because their founder is someone that I'm beyond impressed with. And then the final one that I have is if you go to prenovo.com, it's P R E N U V O.com. I'll put it in the show notes. It is this company where essentially it allows you to do a full body scan of like an MRI scan. So it's like $1,500 to $3,000, but it's preventative to see if you're going to have cancer or something. And it's insane that like, People die from cancer where if it would have been caught a year or so earlier, they would not have died. And it's insane to me that we aren't doing these scans every year because the risk reward scenario is, is a no-brainer. They've so they've set up these essentially like urgent care facilities to do these scans in San Francisco, in Vancouver, in Minneapolis. And I think these are going to be everywhere. And once insurance can start paying for it, everybody's gonna be going in to get their scans. But anyway, I think that's one. I'm like, how is this not on in like every city? But those are ones that I'm kind of keeping an eye on that I think are going to make a big splash.
0: Those are really good ones. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what Superhuman does as well. I haven't bitten the bullet. It's just hard. I think
1: it's a hard ask to pay for email, which has been free forever. Is it worth it? I mean. I, I'm paying thirty dollars for a Gmail extension, and you know what's funny? Like Jonathan and I joke about it. Like I, I feel like that's ridiculous. It's like I'm a billionaire, like doing that, or I'm just really bad with money. But I am obsessed with it. I will talk about it all day long. I still have it in my signature, sent by Superhuman, even though you can pull it away. And this is so dumb, but I have it because. It's a conversation starter. So many oh. people are like, "Oh, you use Superman? I've been thinking about it. That's cool. How do you like it?" And it's 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 like this stupid flex that is like an instant conversation starter. But but I love it because of the shortcuts. But what's really impressive? The onboarding—they actually have someone onboarding you for a thirty-dollar product, which does not make sense, you know, from a profitability standpoint. But they make you fill out this fifteen-question survey. They make you learn the shortcuts even before you can use it. And I think that really helps eliminate churn because if you don't do the shortcuts, it's not worth it. But once you do the shortcuts and then you go back to Gmail, it's, you know, it's like you're on a, on dial up. You just, you're <laughs> so slow. So, so I like it, cool. but obviously as an agency and our email is like insane. So it's, it's helpful for me, but I'm also trying to validate that it's worth paying 30 bucks a month for a, a, a Gmail extension. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, Okay, cool. So let's go into people to watch in 2022. I guess I can start. I try to go with a big person and a small person. So my big person is Jack Dorsey, because now that he has left Twitter, you see him being more vocal and being more opinionated. Because I think when you're running Twitter, where you're literally like the general assembly of the world, you you need to be very even keeled. But now that he's taken a step back and he's so bullish on crypto and everything, you're seeing him have opinions. And I think he's just like a really good mind. I'm interested to see like just the noise and the drama he stirs up this year. And then my, my smaller person is similar kind of tied to HubSpot buying the hustle. One of their top writers was uh, Steph Smith. And she's now really going all in on her own stuff. She launched a podcast. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. I think it's called the, the, the Shit You Don't Learn in School. I'm interested to see what she does, even if it's just putting out great content or launching something. But, but those are two people I have.
0: Cool. I like those picks. I, I'm curious about Jack Dorsey as well. My pick is actually someone you had on the podcast. It's Nathan Barry. Nathan has done just such a remarkable job growing ConvertKit. And it seems like the guy doesn't know how to fail. He's just such a smart (laughs) business person. And I don't know if he's got any big moves planned. I mean, I haven't talked to him in a while or anything like that. But I'm just curious to see his steady growth. Like he's just an executor. And so you'll probably see that revenue curve continue to go up exponentially. And at some point, ConvertKit is going to be, you know, $100 million ARR. And we're going to look at it being like, how did he do that Bootstrapped with a small team? He's just, he knows what he's doing. He makes great products. He's a good marketer. He's got a good business mind. I, I, I like following what he does. So he's my pick. I don't really have any big, big person ones. I don't think. Yeah, I don't really, I can't really think of any, any other big ones besides Jack Dorsey
1: yeah, that's a good one, Nathan Barry, and I feel like his path to getting to one 100 million AR, I'm interested to see what that is. Like with his roadmap, is that like convert kit getting into CRM for creators? Is it like CMS? Like I, I think he's got something up his sleeve that, that he's hatching that, that'll be pretty impressive. He was teasing some product updates actually on Twitter I meant to like go through yesterday, but yeah, that, that's a really good call. Okay, so what will flop in 2022? I'll let you start.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a crypto person. So I, I kind of watch from afar, like, you know, the climate science stuff as well. But I think a lot of people are going to lose money and get caught holding the bag with NFTs. Not to say that there's not a practical use for it. And I'm way out of my depth talking about crypto. But even me on the outside can see... NFTs kind of flopping, at least the majority of them. I think it'll be one of those things, you know, like anything else that's a collectible, you know, it'll be, there will be a few really valuable ones and then a long tail of things that just go to zero. And a lot of people are going to make a mistake and invest a lot of money because there's so much hype there. And I think there's going to be a lot of bag holders (laughs) in 2022 that get burned by NFTs and, you know, lose their savings and, and sort of, yeah, pay the price. And then there's a, there's another big sort of debate around web three and crypto and the concept of decentralization and centralization. And Aaron Levy, who's the founder of box, he makes an argument for centralization and against decentralization, at least to some extent, right? Like we get, we, he basically the point I think he's trying to make is that we gain a lot of value from things like AWS, right? AWS is a great case for centralization, you know, like, being able to rely on another company to scale up your infrastructure seamlessly versus having a decentralized model where everyone manages their own data center has been a massive boon for tech companies around the world. It's what enables this SaaS, you know, explosion. So I think that's the point he's trying to make is that slow down, like, let's not unwind everything that's centralized, because we gain a lot of benefits. And so I will be interested to see where Web3 goes. I don't think Web3 will flop. I think there's going to be a lot of blockchain oriented innovation. And I do think that's going to bloom into something real. We're in the very early days, but I do think certain NFTs, a majority of NFTs, I'll even go out on a limb and say, will flop and we won't be talking about them in December of 2022. That's what
1: I I could not agree more. I didn't put it on here because I didn't want the NFT mob to to, to come at me. Not that uh, they even listen to this, and not that it's not going to work long term. I just, yeah, if if you look historically at bubbles and and whatnot, it's like that. There's a lot of signals that you know the history doesn't repeat itself at it rhymes. It's like with what's going on right now. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to be one of those people profiting from these these NFTs that are going out there, but yeah, that makes me super nervous. The the one that I had, I. I went back and forth on two, so I'll put one in the second is honorable mention. There's this whole like the great resignation going on where everybody's like leaving jobs and going to do something and whatnot. And I'm really interested to see how that pans out with so much uncertainty going on with inflation and the economy and even things I'm seeing with businesses we work on. I, I think that's going to come around and the great resignation is is gonna be coming to an end and people are gonna be needing to jump back into the workforce. That could come in a lot of different ways, but I I don't see that sustainable. And then the second one that I had was around the creator economy. I'm actually very bullish on the creator economy. I'm a little tentative around tools around it because when you try and monetize from the creators, a lot of times they don't have the budget. And so I worry, I'm seeing so many things pop up in that space that it might not be super fruitful for them. But, but those were the things that I had that, that I'm thinking through.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you on the great resignation. I came across a stat the other day. I think it was in Morning Brew or something like that. It said the unemployment rate in December, meaning December of 2021, was lower than it was during every single month in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So basically anybody who's searching for a job can get one right now. It's just there's that much available openings, and I so I do I do think it's gonna the the pendulum's gonna swing back, and it, it, we're gonna get back to equilibrium where where people are gonna have to sort of go back to work.
1: Yeah, it's it, yeah. I actually I read the morning brew every day. I I saw that as well. That that's a great call out. Okay, so we'll do the last one. We've got. What are half-baked startup ideas someone should launch in 2022? So I think I think it might be my turn to start. So I'm going to rattle off a couple. So we'll go with AI. One half-baked AI one that I have is again I wish I could think of really fancy AI ideas. I'm just not smart enough <laughs> to do that. But we as we're like trying to hire, I'll get like 200 resumes. I'm like how do I go through all of this? I want an AI tool to be able to similar to what Jeannie's doing for book summaries to like synthesize all of the resumes for me. So there's one half baked idea. The second one is around homeschool as a service. Like you and I both have kids and there's kind of a bigger idea to this. I'm in a community, I'm in a neighborhood. Let's say like the pandemic goes on and on and on. I would want to be able to get together with other kids in my neighborhood. Like that would pair with my kids, same age and we could all crowdsource a teacher that could watch our kids. Like right now, our, my daycare's closed for 10 days. And I know a lot of other people are going through this. I wish there was an easy way to like, based on our geography, get together and then like find someone to watch our kids, to teach our kids. Heck, even like it's we're trying to do soccer and it's like across town. It's so it's such a pain. And we're all like doing this commute. I'm like, hey, what if we all just like found some high school kid that's good at soccer and likes playing with kids and like teaches our kids soccer. So anyway, homeschool as a service. And then the final one that I have is there's so much investment going into upgrading your home and home building. I want to D to it like a home service, but I want to do one that's not like making cabinets or like building a pool, something that's not sexy, like tree trimming or upgrading your septic tank or putting in a new fence. But you find the providers that can do it. And then we just come in again. I'd, I'd like to actually build this. And our agency like builds the amazing branding. We run all the ads and get the leads and then we funnel it off to, to these providers. But anyway, those are my brilliant idea. ideas. Right. I love Man. that last one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And I could totally use the, the homeschooling thing.
1: I I think homeschooling is uh, a trend we're going to see more of. I know but, it's, I, I don't know. I wish there was an easier way to connect with people, but anyway, those, those are, ha- I'm sure there's something I'm missing on those, but that, that's what I got. Yeah. No, I love that last one. I think there's, there's something
0: to that. There is a startup. I'm blanking on the name, but it's more for home building and they're like a software and services layer in front of like, contractors and custom home builders who are notoriously like terrible at customer service and keeping the buyer or the or the you know the end user so to speak of that home in the loop on supply chain issues and selecting tile and all that stuff and so they make it a sexier more customer oriented service and then the builder can focus on what they're good at and then you know obviously subcontracting things out so I'll try to find the name of that company so you can post it to the show notes, but
1: God, I like your idea of kind of topping up
0: the unsexy
1: parts. Like you're right. Tree trimming, things like that. Oh yeah. A fence. You our, know, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. Our friends just got a quote to get their trees trimmed. And it was like four grand. And they're like, well, it's our only option. And these are huge trees in Washington. Like you need like a cherry picker to, to trim them. And it's like, well, we have to pay it because they're the only game in town. And it's the only price. You can have these like, little local monopolies you know it's like these locksmiths that they own like they're they're on yelp there's apparently five locksmiths companies but it's one company that owns them all and guess what when you're locked out of your car you're gonna pay whatever you need to get back into it so yeah that i think that stuff is super interesting yeah speaking
0: of like home stuff because i only have one half-baked business idea but i want to go back to like the ai and the automation and robotics i can't remember i think it was Balaji's on Twitter, he was posting this big thread about like how like robots are going to take over and, you know, all the jobs and stuff like that. We've been hearing this narrative forever, you know, and even the simple use case of like long haul truck drivers on the highway, like
1: we still don't have that. Yeah. When's Um, that going to happen? They've been talking about that for years. Right. Exactly. And
0: like, you know, everyone's struggling to hire truck drivers. You know, we ordered like a couch like a year and a half ago or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we have it in stock. It came from China. It's now sitting in a port and like, we just <laughs> don't have a truck driver to bring it to you. And it's like, okay, I guess we'll just wait until you can hire truck drivers. <laughs> but in Was that- it from
1: West Elm, by the way? They have the worst wait times. Like, oh yeah, you can get that in nine months.
0: Oh yeah. I, I don't think it was from West Elm. I think it was like, I don't know, Crate and Barrel or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's terrible. It took us a, a year to get our like garage doors. <laughs> so, but back to like the, the, the thread he posted, one of the things he was like, he was taking these like, screenshots of robots doing things and one of them was like building a house and i follow like our plumber on instagram who has like a really awesome instagram
1: really <laughs> and he's like constantly going yeah he does he's
0: like he's amazing at instagram and i've gotten so fascinated with like or what you know his name's cordian i'm like what's where's cordian going today he's like oh he's got a job in newark he's like you know <laughs> ripping up like a sewer pipe from under the ground like his guys are like crawling through crawl spaces to repair like a pipe And, you know, as I see these like cute little tweets about like, yeah, like plumbers and builders, like you're all going to be out of work. I'm like, no robot is like crawling under (laughs) someone's porch and figuring out how to like snake a drain. And like, I don't know, it's just the type of work, like tile work and, you know, some of that like trades work, I feel like goes so underappreciated. And we just make these blanket statements because a robot can put together like a prefab foundation that like, the contracting industry is in jeopardy because of automation. It, it's, you know, it's kind of crazy.
1: We tend to abstract and simplify. Yeah, when you get into the details, like yeah, to train a robot to do that, it's like good luck.
0: Yeah, but my half-baked idea, and it's just sort of something that's been brewing in the back of my head. It's not really like for a specific startup, but it's like a startup trend. And you know, we we look at Facebook. Uh, I guess they're called Meta now. And we look at some other companies where it's just like this unfettered growth machine. And this was really acute last year with the Facebook leaker and talking about how Facebook knew it was doing detrimental things to, you know, to teenagers and, and you know, the psyche of America. And yet it plowed ahead at, you know, the expense of that because there's this requirement to shareholders to grow unfettered. I think that there could be a trend or this could be a thing where we create startups and we limit the growth. We stop at a certain point. And let's say you get, I don't know, five really talented engineers and you make a software product, call it like invoicing software, customer service software. It doesn't have to be anything like world-changing, but something that's like a really good product, superhuman for instance. The founders of superhuman could say, we're going to stop at 10 million ARR or 50 million ARR, whatever the number is, and At that point, every employee takes home a million dollars a year, you know, no matter if you're, you know, answering phones or you're the lead engineer, everyone gets a million dollars a year. And then anything we earn, any profits we earn above 50 million go to, you know, any causes we care about. And you just stop having that pressure to grow. And you just work on awesome products with the awesome people that, you know, that you want to work with. And I feel like there's something to that. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I, I feel like the guys at Basecamp in like an indirect way, as I look at how they run their company, it's very much not like grow, 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 like get this like return for VCs because their structure's so different. They can do this approach where it's like, let's make a great product and also do good in the world. And it's also around this idea of lifestyle design, you know, because even like someone like a Nathan Barry, where it's very much bootstrapped, you have the ability to do that. So if you can, you know, you might have to get creative in how you get funding if you can't do do a bootstrap because like VCs are going to have like different goals. But I I think that makes total sense because people are being more transparent around their companies around mental health. All of these things are kind of colliding, and there's more B Corps that are being spun up. It's it's kind of this intersection of building companies for good and to actually work well with your lifestyle that I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Even as we're like launching the startup studio, that's like what our main conversations around is like, let's do stuff that we're excited about that can do good. And you know, we can control our destiny, but at the same time, we're like, crap, it would be nice to have some money to like move a lot faster on this. So it's a little bit yeah. of a balance, but I think that's a really interesting idea.
0: You've seen so many companies, you know, with, 20 employees grow to an outsized amount of revenue like notion or Airtable or convert kit where it's like, well, we got to 10 million ARR with 20 people do the math. You could pay all of your people a million dollars and still have a ton left. And you could just keep growing as naturally as it grows with no pressure. It's just like, if, if more people start coming to our site and signing up, like we'll support them and we'll grow so slow so that we can continue to kind of keep this sort of, Utopia level experience for the employees, you know, four day work week, a million dollars a year in comp for everybody. Like, I, I feel like it's so doable, but nobody has done it. I think Basecamp has come close to it, but I don't think they've done anything as bold as say everyone makes a million dollars a year.
1: Yeah, I get to see even like Coinbase or, well, like, just because they're also like a whole nother level of wealth, I feel like, because they've also like invested in it. Those founders have invested in crypto. Maybe someone in that space would, would do that approach. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it makes sense. And man, that would be the ultimate like hiring hack. If you're able to yeah. pull that off, that's how you get really good talent. But um, no, no, that that's super interesting. And especially as people are trying to compete in this like remote work, you know, going that that path. But no, that that's a super fun one
0: yeah and it's half baked because like it doesn't scale i'm sure there's a million holes in it but i don't know i feel like there's something to it yeah i have to think more on it
1: that's awesome well we'll see we'll we'll regroup next year and see if anybody takes uh, takes your lead and does that but (laughs) rob that was awesome man
0: cool yeah i'm curious to see what 2022 brings and if we were way off base with any other stuff we definitely will be (laughs) yeah no doubt no doubt
1: Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com.